Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for another week of Parramatta and NRL news, my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, as always, awesome to have you on board. I'll throw it to you first, 60s. How are you doing this week? Good, mate. It's only a couple of days since we recorded our chat with uh, Ron mm-hmm. from the United States, our uh, American Eels fan. That was a, quite an interesting chat about his takes on the season and also his uh, upcoming Las Vegas trip. So, But we're back here with our usual news podcast uh, with yourself and Clint. Clint, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well. Thank you for asking, Sixties. And um, happy last day of all Hallowtide, especially to Ron, who I hope is listening to, uh, to this one. It should be uh, All Souls Day as a part of the um, Halloween uh, three-day celebration that happens over there in the U.S. Um, doing mighty fine, um, but um, very keen to get into this one, lads, because um, this is the, probably the last show that we'll do before the preseason kicks off. Yes, well, given that preseason for the Eels kicks off next week, and we're, we're just going to mention that uh, briefly. Um, yes, that is the case. But, um, John, I'm, just before I throw back to you, a special shout out to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners, Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan, and Parramatta, making everything that we do here on the Cumberland Throw possible. Yeah, well said, mate. Let's get right into it. And fellas, we do have to start with some sad, sombre news because we've had the passing of an Eels player who was a significant part of the 1960s history of the Parramatta Eels, halfback Bobby Bugden. Uh, he's Eels player number 210. Uh, he was part of a team that in the... 1962 to 1965 when he was at the club the Eels made the finals in every season that he was there Uh, we speak about obviously we speak in awe about Ken Thornett and the impact that he had on the Eels I don't think it's a coincidence that Bobby Bugden was there for four years as a halfback he reached representative level football with uh, City New South Wales and Australia having won six premierships with the St. George team, that that incredible St. George team of the 50s and 60s that won 11 in a row. Well, he was there for the first six, and he followed the coach, Ken Kearney, to the Eels. And um, on arriving at the Eels, what do you know? The Eels made four premiership final series in a row, uh, really coming back from being a bottom-of-the-table team to being regular finalists and um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's just passed away. And uh, of course we send our uh, sympathies, our condolences 
to all of his loved ones, be they uh, family or friends. And um, yeah, we uh, and and of course we appreciate the fact that he was a Parramatta Eel and a, and a significant player in the history of the Eels. Yeah, always a tough day when the club loses one of its former players, one of its former greats. So you pretty much summed it up perfectly, mate. Uh, hearts go out to his loved ones and close friends. And yeah, it's it's a real shame to lose one of the former Eels. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, moving um, back on uh, on the Eels still in our Eels news, I believe we've had a bit of a jersey, a leak of the, the jersey for next year, John. Yeah, there was some uh, club media that came out and people did the old uh, CSI forensic sort of work on it, <laughs> as they are, and um, someone did some freeze frames and spotted some differences on the jerseys. Uh, and, yeah, they spotted uh, what looks to be a change in the kit for, as, as you'd expect, sort of year to year they do, like to mix up the kit. It's nothing too outrageous, but I don't think it's going to make a lot of people happy either. I think the, the biggest thing is that the, uh, the default blue strip, the home blues... Uh, have got uh, sort of like hazard strips instead of like a full line, like a, an unbroken golden line. It's probably the best way of, of trying to... Uh, you refer, of, of course, to the four, the classic four gold stripes. Yeah, the four there, gold hoops or stripes. By a, a hazard line. Yeah, have, have been like delineated and broken up uh, on a like a backslash um, instead of like a, a full line. So it's nothing major, but it's probably... One of those little modest changes that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, and I can understand why. And then on the the white away strips, they've got blue and gold stripes. I don't know if that was the case in recent years. I, I, I think that's just a continuation of of the white. And it was called the away strip this year um, that we saw. Yeah, and I don't know if that – I haven't done the zoom in on that, but I imagine it's also got the uh, broken uh, lines there too, I think. So, uh, yeah, well done to the uh, eagle-eyed fans for spotting that one out. Um, but, yeah, nothing too outrageous, but I don't think it's an update that's going to enamor a lot of people either. Are they supposed to be braids or something, The those gold? Uh, it could the very well be. Yeah. It, they... Whatever they are, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm not a fan um, because the, the four gold stripes is our identity. And it's the one thing I think, um, you know, since since it's been brought back, you know, there was a period obviously in um, the early um, 2000s where we weren't, uh, we, we had the inverted um, white V that separated the blue and gold of, of the jerseys. And obviously, you know, that proved to be the first year we had that 2001 proved to be a very successful season uh, for the club. Um, so, you know, maybe that jersey might be remembered a little bit more fondly than, than the design probably originally felt for fans. But... Um, since that point in time, you know, we've we've had um, solid gold stripes, solid blue stripes, or uh, somewhere throughout the the kit, and it, it, it kind of feel like um, not maintaining that is missing the mark. And you know, as 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 ardent eels fans as we are, I know for me, gents, um, that's that's one of my non-negotiables is that we have to have the four gold bars, or if it's inverted, four blue bars for um, somewhere on the jersey, somewhere on the somewhere on the kit. Well, I guess if we if we use the same principles of um, our player recruitment, in that we want to see value added, I guess it comes down to saying, is there value added with this subtle change to the jersey? And it seems like we're all saying, well, no, 
there's no value added. It's, it's, the value it's added so is much. if we win a premiership in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know what? That's true because I, I argued. Um, uh, look, I, I, I like the jersey that we that we have now. I never had a problem mm. with the jersey. Just basically the 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 take on um, the um, the premiership winning jerseys mm. um, and the the jersey that's the you know that we wore uh, back in 2018 and 2019, which was the uh, which was the 60s, um, yeah, the, the hoop jersey, the, the hoop jersey. Now you see, I was a fan of the hoop jersey, and 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 people would say to me, "Oh, look, that's reminiscent of how uh, of you know tougher times in the club." Well, the the jersey that was the 86 jersey had a, a one premiership and one final series that was it and, <laughs> and and basically it was it was a jersey of immense failure after that like we were almost even with a lot of the stars we were almost uncompetitive for a, a decade after winning the after winning the title so um you know like i, I don't go along with that that was a, a you know that particular jersey that the take on the 86 jersey was um, was a take on a successful jersey because yes, there was one title there, but it was basically one in the first year that that jersey was used, and then it, it, it tailed off. And I don't know that the jersey, you know, necessarily has to reflect like a winning era. Era, I think it just has to be a jersey that people like to see the team wearing. So if mm. it's popular and people enjoy wearing the jersey, enjoy seeing the team in the jersey, that's probably. That's probably the main thing. And we've got such a collection of jerseys now. Um, I think it comes down to whether people want changes to the jersey or whether they want the Eels just to settle on a jersey and to stay with it. Now, of course, marketing tells you you've hmm. got to change jersey every couple of years because... There's commercial the, realities that now exist that previously didn't. Yeah, absolutely true. Now, I mean, that doesn't seem to apply to um, certain clubs who keep their traditional jerseys and probably only make some changes to the special event jerseys. I mean, the Roosters don't really change their their jersey. Um, St. George. The Rabbitohs, yeah, um, St. George. The Rabbitohs keep it pretty standard with their jerseys. You know, they've got that real... Um, uh, link that they like to keep with history, and uh, and and even mark like as far as the dragons are concerned, they market the fact that they're the Red V, even mm. they even though they are a merger club with the Illawarra Steelers, who the Illawarra <laughs> Steelers have nothing to do with the Red V, but they market that Red V. So you know, I think it comes down to um, you know whether people like. Uh, like the like the team to be seen in a particular jersey, whether you like to wear different jerseys yourself. And I think when we go to the games, we see such a range of jerseys, don't we? Mm. You know, there's, there's jerseys from every era that you see at the game. You know, everything from the hoop jersey through um, through the um, '90s jerseys and and all of the all of the uh, jerseys through the 2000s. Obviously, the most current one is normally the uh, most popular one uh, in terms of who, you know, what's being worn to the game. But that doesn't stop the whole range of jerseys being there. So, um, anyway, we'll uh, move along because we got we were all 
somewhat stunned when this list was released, John. It was the list of fastest players in the NRL. And there was certainly a couple of uh, shock inclusions from a Parramatta perspective. Yeah, the Eels actually... Well, I was just going to say, especially when we're talking about the lack of pace in the Eels team, yeah. the outside backs. Eels quite well represented in the uh, 2023 top 20 for uh, kilometres per hour uh, top speeds in games. None of the, the games are actually cited as sources. Like, you can go back and see that whichever player, you know, was making that many uh, or that much speed in a given game. But the NRL, in conjunction with, uh, I don't know if it was the Daily Telegraph or Code Sports who put it out first, um, but they've put, assembled the list of the uh, fastest players. I think it's based on the Telstra GPS tracker that all players have that little nook in the back of the jerseys that they can keep uh, track of how far, how fast, how much work they're doing with the GPS. So uh, on top of the list was uh, Ronaldo Molotalo, who I'd argue was a bit of a surprise too because he's a good finisher, but not really noted as an out-and-out speedster, uh, rather being very strong close to the line and good under the high ball. Uh, Jason Saab, number two, I don't think that's a shock. Um, the the big sort of gazelle strides that he has. Mm-hmm. Number three. I expected him to be number one. Yeah, I think, you know, you know somewhere between, right I think between Saab, uh, Tabby Waifado, and a couple of the other sort of noted speeds, that would have been the top contenders there. But number three is a Parramatta Reel. And coming into this list blind, if someone said a Parramatta Reel was in the top five, top ten, you know, you'd be thinking, oh, Dylan Brown, we know he can, he's hit, hit the uh, sort of top speed pretty good. Mitch Moses has a nice turn of pace. After that, it sort of gets a little bit foggy because most of our backline don't really stand out as speedsters, like you said, 60s. Number three is probably the least likely candidate I would have said amongst all Parramatta backs. It's Mike Acevo. 36.684 kilometres an hour. So he falls behind Mulatalo's 37.188 and Saab's 37.116 kilometres an hour. But he's uh, definitely in the ballpark right there. Yeah, I don't know when and where they clocked him. Uh, maybe it was the game um, against the Cook Islands, sorry, Cook Islands, against uh, Papua New Guinea on the weekend because <laughs> I, because he was actually flying in that game because I, I, I struggled to recall a game where he really looked like he was that quick. But again, to sort of apply some caveats here, this is purely top speed at any given point. So this is not top sustained speed. This is not the fastest over 40, the fastest over 100. This is the peak speed reached at any point during a run uh, via the GPS measurements. So... It doesn't so um, that could include either running on or off the field. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, Sevo when he was sin against the Gold Coast Titans. <laughs> but yeah, Sevo wedged in between Jason Saab and Dom Young, Josh Adokar at five, the Hammer Tabuai Fido at number six, Cam Pereira at seven, and then you've got another Parramatta reel. Uh, no surprises here. We already sort of mentioned him in the discussions, but Mitchell Moses comes in at number eight. Jake Avrilo, nine. Kaelin Pong rounding out the top ten. And then going down to the, the next ten, you've got Akorzo uh, uh, Swali'i, so uh, Joseph Swali'i there. Dylan Edwards, Jareem Buller, Blake Wilson, the young uh, winger from the Bulldogs. Tyrell Sloan, uh, the streaky but talented Dragons prospect there. Herbie Farnworth, now uh, well, Bronco when recorded, but now a uh, Redcliffe Dolphin or a Dolphin. Uh, then you've got Ruben Garrick, uh, Fetalangi Ponga, who I believe is Junior Ponga from the Roosters. Then another eel. And again, this is a bloke that, not for a lack of uh, any sort of credit, he's the hardest worker in the NRL, but I would not have had him in the top 20 speedsters in the NRL, but Clinton Gufferson. So at 35, uh, 532 kilometers an hour there. And then rounding out the top 20, and, and Guffo pipping probably the most electric fullback in the game was Reese Walsh. So three eels on the top yeah. 20 there. 
yeah, it feels like an overrepresentation. Um, but again, it, it, this is at some point in a in the game that these players hit that speed. I guess it it, it is there a it, it could be in a chase as well as carrying it, it, the ball. Ex- is that exactly. The case? I don't know if, I don't think there's any qualifying about ball in hand and whatnot. Uh, mm. And bearing in mind, it is worth talking about that when you're talking about athletic testing and, and top-end speeds, most of these guys, and I think there's a way of seeing a few names you probably wouldn't have expected in there, maybe even someone like Dylan Edwards who's not seen as a, a really explosive athlete, even though he's a fantastic fullback like Gufferson. Most of these guys, when you're 190-plus centimetres like Edwards and Gufferson are, once you get into gear, you get to a good speed. But the difference is that explosive mm. testing between 0 to 10, 0 to 20, uh, you know, even up to maybe even 40 metres. Uh, you know, you talk about the NFL on the 40-yard dash. Uh, that sheer speed is what separated guys like Michael Jennings in his prime from a lot of the other players. Uh, getting into your top speed is much better than being a real big speedster at top end, but not being as good of an accelerator. So, and, and, I think, and in addition to that, forty being able to um, get to that speed while changing direction. Yes, as well. huge. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Uh, look, I I find it stunning that Reese Walsh is as low as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it, it makes no sense to me just on the eye test. The eye test tells you that, um, you know, this is a, this is a player that's going to be, uh, right up there in, in terms of that list. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, we look, we know, for example, that, um, Sebo uh, does have a top pace, like you've referenced the game in the Pacific Championships that try that he scored, um, he was seriously motoring there. And mm. I, I guess a lot of Eels fans were watching that and thinking he was motoring and it was like a 90-metre run. Um, and we just, we don't need, we don't normally see that. We often will see Sevo if he's, if he's broken the line in our own half, he's pretty soon looking for um, support coming up. Now, he wasn't always that way because we know from like uh, 2019, for example, he scored some long-distance tries and um, and even even set some up as well with, uh, like, the final pass, I think, with one of them going to... Was it the the try against the Warriors where he passed off to Takarangi after uh, making yeah. that... After sending off Aishford? Sending Aishford yeah, to the yeah. shadow, shadow zone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, we, we have seen him score the long-distance tries and that and that try on the weekend in the Pacific Championships, that also proved that there is still top pace there. So whatever ha- is happening in the mind with Sevo that stops him from looking for the, you know, hitting his, his pace uh, when he gets a chance or, or whether it that he is simply gassed most of the time during the game and he wasn't in that clash, and there might be an argument for that that he was um, that he's really quite fresh, even though it was later in the game. So, um, what, yeah. what it might be an indication of sixties um, is you know um, he he has, he has was it twenty twenty one the end of twenty his twenty twenty one season finished with an ACL injury, um, and and maybe it might have just taken up until this point for him to get that level of of confidence in his speed you know um you know once bitten twice shy might very much apply here and 
know, I, 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 I watched him score that 90-meter try thinking he probably surprised himself a little bit there. But hopefully for us as Eels fans, it's a sign of things to come. And, you know, it gives him that little bit of a, a confidence boost because, you know, he, he, it's not like he was being chased by any slouch. Alex Johnson's pretty quick. So hopefully, hopefully that's a, a good sign for things to come for us. And, and, but I think what we still need from Sivo is a change of mindset, carrying the ball from um, in yardage. Oh, for sure. Because, Absolutely. you know, he's... Above all else, above all else. That's, that, 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 that's the number one thing we need from him moving forward. Yeah, yeah. We know that when he's presented with try-scoring opportunities in the quarter, that that's never been something that we've that there's been any question marks above Siva. I mean, that's why his strike rate is what it is. But we're so used to the expectation on wingers these days with the yardage that um, to not have a winger getting yardage is uh, is really a detriment to the team. And and for his size and now we know pace, um, there's, there's <laughs> something that's there's something that goes wrong with that. So um, now just just moving on. Um, just as an aside away from the football, we've been tracking the progress of uh, Eels NRLW star Mahalia Murphy and her time on the SAS program wrapped up, getting to the um, the second last scheduled day of the um, of their grueling uh, program. It was um, it was something else how far that she was able to get. She was the second last female that was eliminated she got to the uh top half dozen within uh within the competition uh, i think she did herself proud first and foremost her family proud and and i think the way that she um faced adversity in in the competition also and and the type of person that she showed herself to be um was she was a tremendous ambassador for the Parramatta Reels in that program. And though it was recorded at the time before she joined the Eels, so there wasn't referencing of, of the Parramatta Eels in the coverage. It was She was being referenced as a rugby star, and maybe that wouldn't have changed anyway with the Channel 7 coverage of SAS. They, they probably still would have referred to her as rugby because, um, you know, there's that strong Victorian influence that seems to be around in, um, in a lot of television coverage. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, I think it was an outstanding achievement that she made uh, there. Now, moving on and back to the NRL, um, let's wind things up uh, where you've, you've mentioned this before, Clint. Pre-season starts next week. Now, uh, it's there's obviously going to be players that uh, don't join in in the early part of the pre-season. There's probably going to be a bit of um, a staggered return to work for players, depending on what their commitments have been with the Pacific Championships. But given that the Eels finished up in the second last week of the Premiership and finished their uh, first grade NRL commitments a week before every other club, it's no surprise that the Eels will uh, be returning to the training paddock early November this year. Yeah, well, it obviously all kicks off. And, you know, you um, alluded to the fact that not necessarily everyone will be coming back 
next week. And, you know, obviously there's some boys that have been part of the, um, the international series, um, both domestic and abroad, um, who will have an extra few weeks off yet, but, you know, um, for uh, many of our players um, and those development players, it's the first week and first opportunity to impress uh, and push towards um, being part of the extended NRL squad. So, you know, um, the, those development players and those guys that have been vital along for a preseason, they get their first opportunity to impress the NRL head coach and coaching staff and, and push their claims for being part of the NRL squad for um, season proper, be, be it as a, as a part of the top 30, um, oh, 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 sorry, I should say, via uh, their development deals um, following, is it round 11, round 12 of the NRL season? And then, and then likewise, um, and, and then likewise, any guys who uh, might be pushing for a case for a debut later in the 2024 season. Yeah, it's always exciting to see the um, changes that happen with the inclusion of some of the pathways players, the younger players that come in, as you say, they're looking to make an impression. You often get that manifesting, first of all, in some of the fitness work, the conditioning work that happens at training. It's always good to see how how the players respond to that. The other players, that is, the senior players, uh, it, it's, I think, just having uh, fresh faces, new faces around the group is is always good. It also is there a bit of bit of a reminder to the players of their senior status, their need to be taking on a bit of a mentor role. And the thing about Eels preseason training is, although you don't get um, as too much in the way of contact football, normally now. Uh, pretty early in the preseason, you start to see a bit of ball work and a, and a little bit of footy that's happening in some sort of uh, drills or component, opposed component, reasonably early in the preseason. And I always enjoy seeing that just to just to see a bit of footy taking place. Obviously, when I go, I'm not going there to watch the um, the conditioning work because uh, all that does is make me feel guilty about um, how how. Uh, little that I do, or how non-existent <laughs> mine is, and and you stare to there and you're watching watching blokes that are uh, really doing it tough in the, this part of the preseason. But yeah, good to see that's taking uh, that's about to kick off next week. Looking forward to that. Okay, fellas, let's move on to the general NRL news. Uh, that's the our little time signal now for people who like to uh, pause the podcast and go and grab their coffee or um, alcoholic beverage um, <laughs> or whatever to help them get through the rest of the podcast. And you're back with us now. Okay, you're back with us now. And we are going to start off with a little bit of uh, Parramatta something because um, in the Roy Morgan research, the Eels have again come up as the most highly supported team in the NRL. Um no surprise it follows on from um, previous research that's been done that places uh, the storm at the top of the tree when it comes to uh, people identifying as um, as supporters of uh, respective clubs. And, you know, any, any sort of research like this is always done with um, working with numbers and surveys you're talking about taking surveys and then extrapolating it to the overall market. So it's it's not necessarily a case of accuracy, 
but I, I guess a trend in in what's happening with with supporters. So, um, uh, anything really surprise you fellas about those sort of research? That sort of research? Um, for the most part, no. Uh, Parramatta, we know, are a, a very popular team. It's reflected in membership numbers. It's reflected in how well we are represented when we go to interstate games. You can always hear a power chance, see plenty of blue and gold in the crowd. So no surprise that we're up there. Uh, Brisbane being Brisbane, again, you know, they, they should be dominant in these polls. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure there's going to be some inconsistencies somewhere because when you poll a certain amount of people and you're trying to extrapolate, you don't necessarily get the right data set. Uh, you know, you, when you're talking about actual like confidence in data, the sort of numbers that you actually need to have are almost completely unfeasible to get to get true you know data uh, sets of information. But yeah, uh, for the most part, it, it probably rings true to me. Yeah, sorry, uh, uh, Parramatta third, coming in third. Did I say second before? Um, but anyway, it's Parramatta comes in third behind the Storm and the Broncos. Now, of course, the Broncos is no surprise there because. Um, they, like the Storm, dominate the Melbourne landscape from a rugby league perspective and are the only representative, only team that represents Victoria in the National Rugby League. Um, you've got um, the Brisbane Broncos um, having a, a great history of having uh, Brisbane pretty much to themselves until the Dolphins have come along, uh, being the most widely supported team in Queensland as a whole, um, not saying they had Queensland all to themselves because we know that there's a lot of clubs that are supported through Queensland because it was the history of the Broncos not being in the uh, in the top flight competition, which was the New South Wales Rugby League competition prior to the NRL. Um, and, well, basically the Sydney Premiership be, uh, before that. So there's a bit of history there that... Um, uh, gives the more traditional Sydney clubs some Queensland support, but just as a as a run through, you've got the um, nearly 1.2 million that Roy Morgan have identified as Storm supporters, uh, about 1.15 million that identified as uh, Broncos supporters, and nearly 600,000, uh, so 594,000. Um, identifying as uh, as eel supporters, which is a uh, according to them a thirty point three percent increase on last year's figures, and um, I guess you can always put that down to grand final appearance and a bit more um, exposure on um, on the various broadcast uh, channels uh, that that arrives with being um, going deep into final series and, and getting all that media exposure that you're getting grand final week that I think that's mm. probably a reflection of that, how it, what happens next year. You'd hope that the Eels don't um, go backwards in terms of that level of support. But I guess if people are, if they're saying people are identifying as league supporters and I think they, they basically, the other thing about the um, the feature was that um, uh, there's more people that identify as rugby league supporters in 2023 than there was in 2022. So if you've got a, a trend of growth, 
it's good to see that it's a, that it's across the the clubs. The mm. um, the other thing too was that um, uh, Parramatta were um, the second. Uh, yeah, this is where they play second. It was in the uh, number of memberships that um, that uh, existed for um, for twenty twenty two, and we'd been waiting for for some of these figures for a while, hadn't we, boys? Like the, mm. and I think I think from memory as well that um, they hadn't got um, membership numbers from um, the Panthers, so I. I don't think they were able to include that in there, but the Broncos come in top with forty thousand two hundred and seven members, the Eels thirty two thousand three hundred and seventy six members, which obviously there's there's two things to take there. First of all, second most memberships in the NRL. Uh, secondly, being the most memberships of any Sydney club. Um, sitting ahead of the Rabbitohs, 31,067 members. The Dolphins doing incredibly well with their 28,594 members in their inaugural season. The Raiders, 23,550 members. Bulldogs, 21,500. Storm, now this is interesting. They're in at 20,592. Last year, I think they were right up there because... They didn't they offer for some um, free memberships. There, I'm sure there was something that yeah, they it was, did. It was following, it was following the COVID affected years. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, that was um, yeah, that was a bit of a problem for um, going to be to maintain that. Um, shout out here to the Tigers members because we've walked this path before. Sitting down near the bottom of the table, they got twenty thousand members, and I think um, they can feel pretty proud of the fact that they've got resilient supporters there. You, you have to hand it to when you've got members that are paying out for uh, you know membership, as we said about the eels, um, that to have twenty thousand members, and it was a, a small increase as well in their membership. When you've got a team that's not performing, that's a that's a great result, and we all go all the way down to um, the Sea Eagles with fifteen thousand seven hundred sixty six members, which was actually an increase this year, and then the Sharks fifteen thousand two hundred thirty members, which was actually a decrease in their membership. The Dragons with only thirteen thousand three hundred eighteen members, that's reflective of a team. A club that's um, that's really starting to drop down in um, as a result of poorly performing seasons, you'd probably say. I reckon the Sharks are being impacted by what's happened with their stadium there. Like, yeah, that's that, a that's a know. fair extrapolation. Yeah, yeah, and the Titans. Well, maybe it's a reflection of the um, of the market there. The um, basically the population that are there on the Gold Coast because they've only got 8,000 members. The and population big... and accessibility of their stadium it does make it hard um, for people to regularly attend game Titans matches. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, a few things for Rugby League to look at there. Now, 
um, fellas, just we're going to power through here. Um, John, Fenua Blake, Adam Fenua Blake, what's happening there? Yeah, it was a quiet news week. We were sort of discussing when we're going to do the podcast this week, saying, yeah, there's not too much happening. Uh, but yeah, as we go to record today, breaking news, Adam Fenua Blake, the probably central figure of the New Zealand Warriors Ford Pack, their marquee man who's contracted to the end of 2026 right now, has actually asked for a release from his contract to go back to Sydney on compassionate grounds. Uh, I think he's citing uh, why he'd been away from family uh, as a, the means of why he wants to be out of his contract. The Warriors, uh, I don't think, I think they might have offered some comment, and I don't know what the. Let me have a quick gander here. I saw that it was just put up. They're, con- they're considering it. Yeah, so can, there Cam- you go. Uh, CEO Cameron George came out and said they're going to consider um, Adam Fenua Blake's request. So. Um, uh, but they're not making any other public comment at this time. So. We're now approaching, and quite fast, um, a period where we're going to need to start talking about proper compensation for these clubs that keep getting done in by these sort of requests. Mm. And with no trade system yeah. in place for the NRL, understandably, we don't have the sort of infrastructure uh, from the ground up to facilitate trade, uh, draft and trade. And I know it comes up all the time about the NRL draft and whatnot, but the way the NRL is set up from a schoolboy system all the way up to the junior representative pathways and whatnot, it, it would be a significant overhaul to do a trading and draft system, which I, I do enjoy coming from an, an NFL supporter as well. But, yeah, something something has to give. There, there is so much player empowerment now about being able to manipulate contracts, get out of contracts, ask for releases. And I know clubs have done have made it, you know, have the ability to take advantage of that in some regard too. But it just feels like more and more star players are just asking out and want to go here, want to go there. Maybe there is legitimate compassionate grounds here. It's always hard to tell. You don't want to be a cynic about this sort of thing, but it is hard not to be, um, especially when he asked Manly to get out of Sydney on mm. compassionate grounds. So the, you know, there's there's you know form there in the past. Uh, it, it, what a gut blow for the Warriors though. They storm deep into the finals, have their best season in what must be. What, since uh, Ivan Curry took him to a grand final way, way back. Way back. Uh, and now it's just unraveled in the space of one day. So, and even if he stays, he's going to be disgruntled. Uh, and it raises the whole conversation about should you be keeping a player that doesn't want to be there. And obviously the other side of it is you don't, I feel you don't make this request unless there's something lined up. Uh, of course so not. You, of course not. Even even a player as good as Adam Fenua Blake would have offers from half a dozen clubs within you know, half a day if he were to be released. You don't do this unless there is something on the table ready to sign. Your, your head immediately goes towards a team like the Bulldogs who are always looking to clear cap space and sign a marking man. They need help up in the middle as well. The Roosters, I know that their fans would be frustrated having their name thrown into the hat every time, but they are the sort of club that would be in the hunt for an Adam Fenor Blake to replace a Jared Weir Hargroves. You know, he, he is literally... Yeah, well, when you're talking about... I was just going to say, when you're talking about he's, he wants to come back to Sydney, so that immediately narrows down the, you know, halves the number of clubs that that it is that he's looking to go to. You're talking about a Warriors team that had to uh, surrender Reese Walsh to the Broncos yep. uh, last season because he he said, "Look, I'm not going to I'm not going to relocate to New Zealand." He was happy to play for the Warriors when they were based in Queensland, Strand, stranded in Queensland, but, yeah. Yeah, but um, now, you know, it, as soon as they were back home, he just said, look, I'm not going. 
and they they had no say in it. Now, they might have a fair idea, as, as most clubs would anyway, about what an unhappy player looks like or a specific unhappy player. So they might know what a, an unhappy Adam Fenua Blake looks like out on the field. He didn't set the world on fire when he first shifted to the Warriors. Um, last year was an exceptional season. Uh, as, as you said so rightly, John, he he really set the tone for their pack this year and was part of the a big part of the reason for their resurgence. Um, I don't think that there's going to be any winner, any any way of them winning this uh, as it currently stands. And as you said, the the club really should be looking to get some sort of compensation and whether it's like has to, what happens with the um, this English Super League, that there is a straight-out transfer fee that has to be paid if someone is still under contract. But the problem is and that, that, it, that doesn't help them in a competitive sense. Yeah, it boosts, no, it boosts it, their financials, but unless this is unless you're talking about cap credits where if the Bulldogs want for Blake, they then have to give up X amount of cap space that goes to the Warriors uh, across the lifetime of the contract, which is actually a pretty significant... Uh, that that is a, like a penalty slash uh, reward on on both sides there. I, I don't know. Some may, maybe the uh, fury I, I sort yeah, of been thinking yeah. about is that the idea should the idea of cap concessions where you lose kind of like a compensatory picks in the NFL draft where when you lose a player mm. in free agency in the draft uh, in the NFL you can be awarded uh, compensatory picks up to a third round pick which is a, a fairly high pick uh, but it's balanced off by the fact that you can't go out and sign people. <laughs> yeah, there's a f- whole formula for it. You've got to be careful with signing people because you lose your picks. But maybe you could institute something in the NRL about cap credits where if you lose a marquee player in these sort of circumstances, the NRL can give you a 50K, 100K, something like that cap credit that lasts for a certain amount of time. Like It's not a lifetime thing, obviously, but I don't know. So- something has to change if this is going to be the norm for superstars. You can you can see that no matter what is brought in, that there would end up being some sort of rotting, because you could you could see a club going, to, uh, uh, say a marquee player, who they would who they feel like they want to tap on the shoulder, um, because you know they it might be that they've got a contract which is, um, you know, heading towards, um, you know, being. Um, too heavy loaded within the within their salary cap in a, in a particular year, and mm. you know coming to some agreement where uh, the player goes finds another club that's willing to pay full freight, and then they um, uh, you know institute a situation where it's come from him that he wants to move on, mm-hmm. and um, they get some, and and this is like an extra benefit is a is a um, is a compensatory um, extra extra cap um, allowance, but there has to be something. I mean, yeah, that's that's me being um, a bit cynical about uh, a system like that. But I agree, something similar to that has to come in because you can't have players that are under contract for a number of years henceforth and start agitating to move. And you're right. Like clubs can't come to uh, come to the table and say, "Look, um, 
here's your here's a contract to come and play with us. I don't think the NRL can stop them talking to an agent and saying, listen, if your player becomes free, we are willing to put a contract on the table. I think I don't think there's anything that the NRL can do about that because it's no formal contract offer. I think what clubs aren't able to do is actually put a formal bid or or, mm-hmm. or informal bid, uh, talking money or any of that sort of stuff to a player before November one. But it doesn't mean that they can't let a player agent know that there's an interest there if their player becomes a free agent. So um, yeah. Um, Clint, would would you which clubs would you see being interested in Fanua Blake? Um, look, there'd be a handful of Sydney clubs that are interested in the, terms of um, teams that can actually get it done. Uh, it rhymes with Banterbury, Banterbury Cool Dogs. Um, yes. I, I think they're the. Uh, I think look if 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 um if we just do um try and connect the dots here a little bit and. You know, I dare say this afternoon, a lot of the water cooler chat around the office would be many people speculating just as such that the Canterbury Bulldog, it, it, it just smells of a Gus Gould move, doesn't it? And, um, and, and certainly the way in which the information has come out and the plausible deniability because um, the player has initiated that um, and it's, it's, it's come from his camp as opposed to any club, um, you know, Canterbury happened to be looking for a, a high-profile forward, as as John um, uh, gestured to before. So you know, but you know what 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 might happen with this gents? Um, and you know, there was obviously that news um, that broke last week about Josh Adokar, and the seeds have been planted around him not being at Canterbury over the better part of the last four, five, six weeks or so. Is that he's on a big contract at Canterbury? They want to sign. They potentially a potential suitor for the most expensive prop in the game. Who wants to relocate back to Sydney? They might want to free up some cap space, but also still have the ability to make a play at a certain uh, Penrith five eight, who's also off contract and has a lot of his former teammates over there. It just seems like the the ducks are in a row for the Bulldogs to to try and make this happen. And we may be the beneficiaries or have the opportunity to be the beneficiaries in adding some speed to our back line to the likes of someone like Josh Adokar. So, you know, um, obviously the, uh, there's um, still plenty of water to pass under the bridge before anything like that happens. And this is very much a case of me um, um, loosely trying to read the tea leaves. But there might be, there might be something in this for us if it eventuates. Well, I'm going to go um, on the record here as saying that, well, you know my um, thoughts about recruiting Josh Adokar. I'm going to go on the record and say Josh Adokar won't be at Parramatta. And I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know that the club is, is, is pursuing Josh Adokar. Um, it's, I, I'm just not hearing, I'm, I'm really not here. Like we've had all those rumours, I'm not hearing anything from the from the out of the club. Not that I expect to hear something, but I've I've dug, I've been digging and digging and digging and digging as best I can, and there's not even the slightest smoke that's around that the eels are interested in him. So I'm 
Uh, I wish that that was one where the dominoes might fall our way because, like you, Clint, I, I would be thinking, okay, if, you know, there's sometimes there's been players that have ended up at the Eels via dominoes falling the right way. I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to fall the right way there. Um, now, just talking about the Warriors, uh, I'll just quickly, we'll just quickly touch on this. Uh, Dallin Martini's Lesniak has extended at the Warriors. There's no surprise there on that. John, what? how long is the deal there? I believe end of 2025. So uh, obviously this upcoming season and the year after. So I, I think that's a one-year extension, um, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, he's played his, by far his best football of his career as a New Zealand Warrior. So no surprise that the two parties came together. Uh, it is worth considering too that he... He was on a legacy contract from the Bulldogs that was mammoth. I think it's been talked about in the vicinity of $800,000 a season. So that might come with some sort of reworking there to give them more cap flexibility. I don't know. That's purely speculative. But I imagine that deal was also done on the basis that Adam Fanua Blake would be there. <laughs> so uh, yeah. They're the sort of things that start hurting all your recruitment retention plans. But that is a good keep for them. Uh, and Dallin was on fire for the season just passed. So, yeah, good for him to lock himself up to the Warriors and uh, hopefully play some more great football. Well, he's a former uh, Panthers player, and just sticking with that theme of Panthers players, <laughs> there's a bit of a laugh with the Ivan Cleary shenanigans talking about <laughs> Jerome Luai, <laughs> um, about a, a player that he's, he's described as clubs would be taking the punt on him because he's basically shown no evidence of being able to direct a team around, lead a team around the field, <laughs> you know, the proviso, uh, could he do it? Oh, y- yes, I believe so. Do we have evidence that he has has done so? The, no. Uh, one of the so, most yeah. unique re- like retention yeah. pitches I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, our player is good, but yeah. is he really that good? <laughs> do you want to be taking that risk? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, um, it, it's, it's really funny to hear that because – You'd have to hope that um, you know uh, if you're uh, if, if you're in uh, the camp of um, Luai that you know I mean you if you're Luai's agent you don't like hearing his current coach talk talk him down in that respect but I mean you know we we can take and I'm sure Luai takes it that this his coach doesn't want him to go anywhere. But it's just like if you're if you're an employee somewhere, it'd almost be like getting a bad reference from your current employer yeah. because they don't want you leaving. Um, I, I, I've actually been down that path once before when um, I, I had a, uh, a, a temporary promotion when I was when I was in the public sector that um, another part of the organisation wanted to second me for a period of time. And uh, it was it was basically I wasn't nominated where from where I was, um, despite the fact that the um, the department the section of the department that wanted me um, had made it clear that they wanted my name put forward from where I was. And when I confronted the uh, management of where I was uh, where I was working, they said, uh, and quite bluntly. Uh, Craig, there is no way we we would release you. Um, we we can't do without you here. And my argument was, but this is more money and a car. <laughs> how, how does that work? 
And it was just like, well, I'm sorry, we can't do it without you. And uh, let me just say that when I found that out, they ended up having to do without me because um, I, I went and let it be known that, no, I want the job. So um, it, it's you don't want to be in that situation where you have um, someone talk you down because they don't want to let you go because ultimately there is a there is a there's a very real financial cost mm-hmm. that comes with it that's that's um you know as, as it might be born out of admiration for him as a player that's the worst possible scenario that um you could be in so anyway um i did want to move on because i want to now get to the interesting situation well i guess it's Interesting is the wrong word for this. It's an unfortunate situation where uh, for Latrell Mitchell and Jack Whiten, that it would appear that the charges levelled against them were based on false testimony of a police sergeant. Um, Pretty serious stuff. Very distressing. That is not good stuff to have happen. I mean, the, um, the police officer in question has said that it's a more an issue of a memory failure than anything else. Um, but there was, I think, an admission about getting together, the, the the police involved together and made sure that their stories all aligned. Um, geez. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good thing that uh, there's uh, video footage that's accessible in these sorts of situations that can prove innocence because um, this was not good. And uh, Clint, it, has, it would have to be really understandable that the, the players, Whiten and, um, and Mitchell, would be considering legal action. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, it's, it, it's not the first time that we've seen this happen as well. Um, and, you know, I might be a little bit hazy on the details here, and I feel like John might, might be able to corroborate whether this is the case, but... I'm almost certain when um, Curtis Scott a few years ago um, was arrested, uh, I believe it was in and around Australia Day yes. or thereabout, and um, and um, there was false testimony from the authorities in um, in the accusations levelled against him in that particular scenario as well. You know, so um, you don't want to say that that's necessarily a trend, but you know, at, at the at the same time. Um, there's absolutely recourse for legal action um, should Jack White and, and Latrell Mitchell choose to take it. I'd imagine for them both that they, they, they might just want to move on and forget about it and just get on with, with, with playing footy. But, you know, if, if, if they do want to pursue that, that it's, they're well within their right to. Um, you know, I, I, find it, I find it laughable that um, uh, it's a case of hazy memory. And, you know, there's plenty to be said that in terms of um, the reliability of eyewitness accounts um, when it comes to um, criminal um, proceedings and, and and charges and the like. But um, at the same time, we're talking about the, the law enforcers here. We're talking about the police. And much to your point there, Sixty, you'd think that they would um, corroborate and fact-check and, and sense-check everything. It's like, this. are we sure that this is that our account accurately reflects what we feel ha- um, felt happened? Um, you know? And at the very least, there's been failure of that. And you know, we're, we're also talking about discrediting um, the um, reputations of, 
of these players as well. And they have every right to defend their reputation, as does any, any citizen of this country. So, you know, um, it's, it's, it's beyond not good, you know, like it's, uh, I, I don't know if I've got the right choice of word for it, but um, if it were, were me, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know what I'd do personally. I, I, I could make a case at the side, but absolutely recourse for legal action. Yeah, it's... and uh, I think the other thing too, and I want to throw to you, John, is that um, in this instance, is that do you think that their their NRL clubs would actually encourage them and maybe be, um, you know, co-plaintiffs in legal action because their clubs, respective clubs in in the Raiders and the and and the Rabbitohs surely had their reputation tarnished to an extent as well. They probably had to deal with uh, mm. aspects with, um, with uh, sponsors and, mm-hmm. and, and what have you. So, um, you know, you, you would think that, that maybe as well that there's um, if, if they weren't co-plaintiffs that maybe they'd encourage their, the players to um, look at taking legal action because yeah, it, it's it's not a good look. It wasn't a good look for their respective clubs. It wasn't a good look for the game when these charges were laid out. And, you know, you've had that shadow hanging over them for an entire season just about. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, what what would be your take on that, John? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they they want to just move on and put it behind them. But at the same time, I could see them being pursuant to something further. Uh, it's it's a terrible look for the Australian police uh, for what well, happened in Canberra. Did it? From was it Canberra? I, I think from memory. I think I think it was from memory. Mm. Yeah. So obviously the ACT police force, but you know, but you, you hope it's a localized issue. But unfortunately, as much as there are fantastic policemen and women across the force in Australia, there obviously are those that abuse their power. Um, and this is a massive abuse of power, uh, and you'd hope that there is serious blowback on the individual officer involved, but oftentimes there isn't. Um, if they do want to go further with this, I would not blame them whatsoever, um, because they're going to feel like there are racial, not even undertones, overtones to this, uh, you mm. know, being at play, and they could very well be right. I'm, I, I don't want to comment on that because I wasn't at this, you know, involved in the thing. Uh, uh, and if it is, it's a you know that that's real heartbreaking stuff. You hate to see it, um, but yeah, the their reputation, the club's reputation, the sponsors' reputation—they've all been damaged. So I would not be surprised if there is legal action to come out of this. Yeah, um, look, it's—I mean, it's always disappointing. Disappointing when you've got um, you know the police involved in um, in these erroneous testimonies um, where I think the police officer said it wasn't his intention to mislead the court. It was a, a memory issue, but yeah, it's just, it's not a, it's not a great look. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd actually advocate that they, that they do look at their, uh, what course of action they can take legally. Now let's wrap up um, quickly with the, um, the Pacific championships fellas. Um, last week, um, the, Kiwi women did what I thought they might be able to do, which was if they were able to hang in there to um, 
overcome the Australian uh, women's team. I, I think I said to you, it would the first 10 minutes would tell me whether they were going to be able to go on with it. And um, as it turned out, it was an almighty win. Um, I think really based very strongly on uh, their defensive resolve. Yeah, you got the tip right when we did our previews. And it's funny because the week before that, or the contest before that, I was the one that tipped the, uh, the, the New Zealand team to really push Australia. Well, I think you boys were tipping a more comfortable Australian win, and I was close to the mark then, but then I didn't back myself up. Uh, yeah, great guts shot on show there. Uh, ex- exact played exactly how you said, 60s. If they could sort of dig their heels in early on and get into the contest, they were going to challenge the Jillaroos, and that's, they did more than challenge. They knocked them over, and I think it ended, what, like a six or seven game losing streak uh, or something like that. So very well done. Uh, when I say losing streak, to Australia, not in general. And, uh, fellas, who who was your um, player that you really looked at from the from the that New Zealand performance as as uh, being a, a difference maker? For me, um, it was Arpy Nichols at yeah. the back. I thought she was just I thought she was outstanding. Uh, Clint, who was um, who was your uh, player from that game? Oh, I'd have to agree with you there. I mean, she chimed in with a a, a nice try assist. Um, and looks threatening all game, you know. The, 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 it, it, but I, I, to be honest, you know, um, the, the the colossal defensive effort is 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 what won it. And and it sounds weird to say that, you know, because they didn't necessarily attack with their defense per se, but they were resilient. And you know, and, and that was after an early breach, you know. So because I'm, I'm I'm sure sixties, you you might have thought after um, Australia's first try. Like oh well, you know this this might go the complete opposite way of what I suggested, but um, it, it, you ended up um, absolutely being Nostradamus on this because um, they 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 um, recovered from that early lap and were colossal in defence. And um, you know, um, if, if we sort of shift back to um, the players who were influential in the victory, yeah, um, it, it was Arpi Nichols for me as well. That's the name I had written down prepared for for this discussion. Yep, John? Yeah, RP Nickel is definitely class at fullback. And, and you talk about those head-to-head matchups, but you know, being able to outplay Tamika Upton across the course of the game is a huge bonus to the team there. So her stepping up to the plate was critical to the success that the New Zealand team had. Uh, outside of that, I mean, really, it's a massive team effort, honestly. Um, but, yeah, you know, Racing McGregor helping lead the team as both seven and captain, doing a fantastic job there. Um, and, yeah, just the, the forwards really holding their own through the middle. Uh, Australia can absolutely dominate in that regard in, in a lot of matchups, and the fact that they're able to keep that platform as stable as they did is what pay, helped pave the way for that big upset victory. Yeah, and I think just being able to compete like they did and, and the, the frustration that they caused and the, the consequent 53% completion rate from the Australian team, it, it just showed the um, the errors and the frustration that they were able to um, draw out from uh, what should have been uh, a dominant Australian performance. Now, switching over to the men, that the and we should mention as well that wraps up the uh, the women's uh, championship there. But we we do have the uh, respective finals in the men's this weekend, which follows on from um, last week, where we had uh, a huge. 
a couple of, um, you'd have to say, upset results really in both because um, the Fiji just demolished the Kumals 43-16. to 16. None of us saw that one. Um, uh, so it was... Um, yeah, that was that was just a, a, a phenomenal result there, and um, the the Kiwis were competitive against Australia, so that wasn't um, that wasn't so much a, a an, an upset result there. Um, what what I was um, I was a little bit disappointed in Dylan Brown's performance for mm-hmm. the Kiwis in that thirty six to eighteen um, result. So can um, First of all, in the repeat of that Australia-New Zealand match, can we see the Kiwis lift on how they uh, performed against Australia last week? Uh, Both yes and no. Uh, Yes being that I think they've definitely got more left in the tank, Uh, definitely could be more cohesive. I know Dylan, uh, you you rightly criticised in their 60s for not being as involved as he should be. I thought that on... The flip side, Jerome Hughes made a few errors as well, which didn't help. So when both your six and seven are struggling to establish themselves, it's always going to be a difficult game. Uh, so they, they can clearly play a lot better than that. Um, they're, they're probably struggling to find ways to get Joey Manuels involved uh, in the right areas they, they'd want to. Um, and their forward pack, who, you know, chaired by the, the formidable Penrith duo, you would have hoped would have been more, not just competitive, but maybe even dominant. But they got overran by an Australian pack who... And this is where I say the yes and no. While they have lots of room to improve themselves, that wasn't Australia's best team. So they've got to be concerned about that. Um, that was, you know, Australia, not, not their B team, but kind of like their uh, B plus. They're in between. B, B plus A minus team, uh, where it's got like a lot of key players in there, but they also gave, you know, a lot of guys their sort of seasons jerseys for, you know, the sort of season achievement award sort of thing. And when they bring in the big guns and they bring back your Payne Haas, your Tino Faso, Marla Ali's and whatnot, it's going to make that pack that much more formidable. So not saying they can't do it, but there would be some serious concerns there because the, the Aussies haven't really gotten out to, to a full stretch yet and the Kiwis are, are struggling to match up with them. Yeah, it's, it's really a case of, I mean, when you consider that um, Ivan Cleary's not playing, uh, which is a which would have been, uh, sorry, Nathan Cleary, not Ivan Cleary. <laughs> Nathan Cleary's not playing. Um, it it makes it really uh, well. It emphasises that, um, and that's not a criticism at all on um, Daly Cherry Evans. I, I mean, it probably emphasises the the depth in uh, the Australian team um, that there's there are other options that go. Uh, beyond that, and and I think as well that you you had um, Nico Hines when he came in. He was he was playing. I think it was a pretty much a lock role, wasn't it, when he he came on? But he was like that ball player lock, so he was still effectively playing like a half. And I thought he looked quite effective when he came on the field. Um, whether that's again a case of uh, when he got on that the New Zealand team were well and truly beaten and were struggling to hold Australia defensively. Um, that, you know, run of uh, three three tries in the second half. But, um, yeah, look, I don't know. I, I can't see looking ahead because the two teams clashed this week. 
I can't see anything other than a, another big Australian win. Clint, what's what's your thoughts on last week and then into this week? It, it seems a hard way back for the Kiwis from this point because, um, as John rightly touched on, you know, this wasn't Australia at full strength. And um, but I don't even even though um, they ran away with it in the end, I don't think they've completely flexed their muscles in this tournament either. They've they've um, they've gone about their business and got the job done, but they um, they certainly haven't put on a clinic, if you want to call it as such. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think the uh, additions of Tino Fasua Malawi and Payne Haas only further strengthens the Australian side, and you know this scoreline might get a little bit uglier for New Zealand come um, come the weekend. However. They get an opportunity for a reprieve. Um, I w- if I'm a um, Kiwi supporter, I'd definitely like to see more from the Kiwi pack. I'd like to see them um, take it to the Australian side a little bit more. Um, you know, particularly when I look at, um, you've got a guy like Nelson on the bench, and this might be some Parramatta bias that's coming out here, gents, but I wouldn't mind, you know, if I'm Michael Maguire, I wouldn't mind bringing someone like Wiramu Greg in, to, you know, who's, who's got that aggression and is that firebrand and can, offer a little bit of impact off the bench to, um, you know, challenge the likes of Lindsay Collins and Patrick Carrigan when they're in the game. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we, we obviously have that bias with like who we'd like to see playing out there, but you're right. I mean, it's, it, it's very much a case of the, the pack disappointed for the Warriors. And uh, maybe that, that is a, an indication that, um, you know, you're not going to get great performances from the spine if the pack can't lay a platform. It's it's cliched rugby league, but it, it's true. Uh, let's um, let's get some tips on this now. I think we've hinted at what we what we think might be the result. I'll just say straight out: I think Australia wins by a margin that's at least the same as this last week. Which, as I said, for me is a, is a bit of an upset. It's a bit of a disappointment to see it being um, as one-sided as it was uh, last week. Um, so I think it's 18 points or more that the Australian team will win this by. Um, John, what's your tip? Yeah, it, it does suck to see the parity sort of being broken at the highest level of international rugby league again. It looked like at one period we had New Zealand, England, uh, Tonga, all sort of vying to be serious competitors to Australia. But right now, for whatever reason, the balance isn't quite as healthy um, I think Australia are going to win and win well. Hopefully New Zealand can make it more competitive and make it, you know, competitive right down to the line. But I'd expect them to maybe, you know, hang, hang around for like the first 40 minutes and then maybe start getting pushed in the second half as the Aussies start to pick them apart and end up winning by double digits. Yeah, Clint? I see it unfolding in a very similar way into which the game last weekend unfolded. And I think New Zealand will come out and have plenty of fire in their bellies um, in, in that opening 20. But... If um, Australia, as you'd expect, weather the storm, um, I see the other side of half time. That five to ten minutes after half time, uh, a moment of the straw breaking the camel's back, and then the floodgates opening, and I see a twenty-plus point victory at the very least. Yep. Okay. Now that that takes us to another uh, replayed game from last week. I I touched on that lopsided win that Fiji had over Papua New Guinea, 43-16. to 16, And now they uh, they face off again for the bowl final up in Port Moresby. Uh, I, that was a... That was an unlike... That performance was unlike PNG. 
I mean, they really got blown off the park there. Is it possible for them to turn it around in one week, John? I think so. Um, you know, a lot of handling errors and, and poor defensive options in the game against Fiji last week. Tidy that up and, and playing with a lot of passion as well. Obviously, I think they'll, they'll be able to bridge the gap to a significant degree. I think they've got the talent to beat Fiji. There's a reason why we, I think we all tipped them to win against uh, the Bardi, but they just got in their own way. And Fiji happened to play really well on the day. It was like a complete reversal of the form we'd seen in the tournament prior where Fiji had been sloppy and been getting in their own way and tripping over themselves. Instead, it was the Kumuls in that particular matchup. So if they just tidy up and dot their I's, cross their T's, do all the rugby league sort of fundamental stuff, I think that they're going to make this game really competitive and, and maybe even win well. But I, I will tip it to just be a close game with the Kumuls getting the edge because I think they're going to be very, very emotional here, very fired up. Yeah, Clint? I would very much like to see a tight game. Um, it, this is a classic case of a coin flip for me, and I, you know, I, I could make a case for either side, winning by a small margin, winning by a large margin. Um, you know, there's a lot of firepower, obviously, in that Fijian backline. Um, likewise, um, the, the Kumuls are a much more balanced side, and they put um, the Cook Islands through the cleaners earlier in the competition, um, whereas Fiji really struggled to get going against the Cook Islands. So... Um, look, I, I I don't know who's going to win this one. I probably lean slightly more towards the home side in PNG and, and, and there being a bit of a bounce back factor. Um, I'd like to see a tight game because I think the other final, as we um, shared before, is going to be a bit of a blowout. So I'd like to see a competitive match in this one. But, and I, I see PNG getting a, a, a jump here somewhere in the, um, the six to 10 point range. Yeah. Oh, look, I think Fiji win not by the same sort of margin, but I think that they they do win. This is interesting. I mean, I, I honestly think that PNG should have the edge in the spine. and uh, But I think... Um, sorry, I mean, I think PNG should have the edge in the spine. But I think the, the edge that was given in yardage to Fiji with... Um, their players ha- having strong games, in their, their outside backs having strong games, their edges uh, playing strongly. I just thought it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a real. Uh, not only it was a disappointing for PNG, but it was such a a shot of confidence uh, for the Fijian side. So I'm going to tip Fiji there, probably by a similar margin to what you're thinking there, Clint. I think somewhere in the 12 to 16 point range. But I am also hoping for a close game because those fans up in PNG, they absolutely love that and they'd be, they'd be looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, this, uh, this pretty much wraps up the, uh, the rugby league season now this weekend. So, uh, and then we're into the genuine preseason starting. So it's almost like there hasn't been an off-season in a way. <laughs> I mean, like we have to distinguish the the season, the off season, the preseason. Um, yeah, no off season. You love it. You have to love that. You have to love that. Um, but uh, yeah, so fellas, I'll I'll be trying to make um, as many uh, training sessions as I can over the over the preseason. Um, start the reports. I'll try to keep it where it, it's um, relevant and. Um, letting people know what's what's going on as always 
you're still going to get my uh, passion for the Eels coming through. I make no apologies for, you know, when I see something that I like happening, that I say, you know, what it is that I like. Um, but um, we do already have, uh, Clint, you gave us the word that the um, junior rep teams have, have come back to work. That's correct, yes. Um, so they were, they're already in their pre-season because their competition starts early and they even start having trial matches in December. So little wonder that the junior rep teams are, are, are back in their work. But uh, as always, TCT will keep you up to date with what's happening in the junior rep scene. Uh, we're looking forward to a chat that we're going to be having, having with Adam Fairley to talk about the junior rugby league, um, the season they've had and what's... Um, what's coming up uh, for next year in the Parramatta Junior Rugby League competition that's um, uh, so, uh, you know, generously supported by uh, Parramatta Leagues Club. Um, but speaking of support, um, our thanks to all of our listeners for continuing to listen and, and support uh, what we do. My thanks to you two fellas for uh, more great contributions to our podcast and, of course, to our wonderful uh, sponsors of TCT and the podcast in Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Thanks for making all of this uh, possible. And um, to everyone out there, go you mighty eels.